When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm, I'm a writer. writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Christina Cook. Christina Cook's writing has previously appeared in Prism International, The Caribbean Writer, Prairie Schooner, Epiphany, a literary journal, and elsewhere. A McDowell Fellow and 2022 Journey Prize winner, she holds a Master of Arts degree from the University of New Brunswick and a Master of Fine Arts degree from the Iowa Writers Workshop. Born in Jamaica, Christina is now a Canadian citizen who lives and writes in New York City. And today she's going to talk to us about her debut novel, which has yet to come out, Broad Upsy which follows a young woman as she travels from Canada to her native Jamaica to spread her younger brother's ashes and reconnect with her estranged sister, a trip that forces her to confront being gay in a deeply religious family as she muddles through the aftermath of lost love and meets a brash stripper who shows her a new side of Kingston. Welcome, Christina. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be fun. Alex and I, um, as we were saying earlier, we've, you know, we've yet to talk to a writer who is sort of um, on the cusp like you are, um, like extremely accomplished. Your book is going to come out at some point and you're in this like wonderful space right now where (laughs) it's just like really fun, I hope. (laughs) No, I'm going to say I have been enjoying every millisecond of it. This is good. This has been something that feels very hard won. I've actually been working on this novel on and off for the past 11 years. Oh don't quote, don't quote me on that. I'm not good at math. <laughs> I do I do verbs. I don't do numbers. Um <laughs> but it's been a minute and so um to finally be in the space where this project that I've incubated, honed, craft, written, rewritten, rewritten, rewritten um for it to you know be on the cusp of being in readers' hands mm-hmm. is something you know when something is a dream for so long that that it starts to feel like it'll only ever be a dream oh my gosh mm-hmm. that's kind of the space i've been in for a, a long time oh so, my gosh that's amazing yeah. when when does it officially come out do you know uh, I don't know the exact day yet, but it's coming out in January of 2024. Oh, that's very exciting. Well, we're Thank so happy you. that you're here with us. And we would love if you would read a little bit of Broad Up. Sure. Uh, so I always feel like the best place to start is at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read the first few pages for you all. Excellent. <clears throat> 1996, Monday. Sarah and I walk through the hospital doors, up and around the large staircase as I recite the nurse's directions in my head. 
Take the hallway on the left, then another on the right, straight through the waiting room to a row of patient rooms, then turn, the first on the right. There he'll be. And there he is. My brother's hospital room smells like air conditioning and antiseptic and the musty stench of something decayed. I glance up at the far corner, afraid I'll see a muted TV and black smoke gathering above green trees, like, like I saw the last time I was in a hospital, when I was nine and my mother was dead. Hey, my baby brother Bryson says, smiling up at me from his bed. Hi. I whisper. He coughs, heavy, threatening, on the brink of something nasty. My father looks in from the hallway as my girlfriend, Sara, hands him a tissue. Here you are, she says. Bryson's face spreads into a wide grin. Ye are, ye are, long drawl rolling easy in a familiar caress. He was too when we moved to Texas. Only six when we left for Canada. He knows he's Jamaican. He knows what it says on his birth certificate. But there's something about slow-smoked brisket and fruit paletas and screaming hook'em from football bleachers that makes him feel like he's where he belongs. How y'all doing, he says, then coughs again, his small body convulsing. Akua, my father calls from the door, gesturing for him for me to join him in the hallway. But I don't move. I can't stop staring at my brother, watching the slow blink of his eyes and the way he squirms under the stiff sheets, IV lines pulsing red in and out of his sallow skin. He shouldn't be here. He's only 12 years old. We'll be right back, champ, Sarah says, ushering me out of the room. Out in the hallway, the doctor extends his hand to me his head cocked at just the right angle to seem concerned. I'm sorry about all this, he says. I stare at the gray hairs on his knuckles, my own hands limp at my sides, then make my, then make my way toward a seat. Daddy takes the doctor's hands and shakes it as Sara heads down the hall to give us space. Now that we're all here, the doctor says, looking from my father to me. Bryson's sickness, it's hereditary, passed down from parent to child, just like eye shape and skin color. Daddy looks at his knees. Is there a history of sickle cell in your family? The doctor says. Any extreme anemias, bloodborne illnesses? I watch through the small window as my brother coughs, his body retching with our mother's disease. Daddy buries his head in his hands. My assistant will be with you shortly, the doctor says. She'll explain all the information we need to help you through this difficult time. Sarah looks at me longingly from the other end of the hall. She heard enough. She knows. I stay where I am, heavy as lead. Tuesday. I flip the quarter between my forefinger and thumb, forefinger and thumb, as I stare at the gray payphone hanging on its hook. Behind me, I hear my machines beeping and nurses shuffling in and out of rooms. I have to do it, I have to call. Sliding the coin into, into the machine, I dial my sister's number. 
I know, my older sister Tamika says as she picks up. Daddy called me this morning. When does your flight get in? I rest my forehead against the booth's cool wall. She says nothing, her breath coming quick like she's struggling for, for air. Tamika? Daddy didn't tell you, she says. Tell me what? I squeeze the phone. Are you sick too? I go dizzy for a moment, knees threatening to give. No, she says. Praise be, I'm fine. I exhale, relieved. Then what? She goes quiet again, scratching sounds filling the receiver like she's fiddling with the cord. I'm not coming, she says. I can't come. What? I wrap the phone cord around my wrist. A nurse rushes past, a clipboard under his arm. I'm sorry, what? I say again. Tamika stays silent as the nurse knocks on the door then lets himself in. He's sick, Tamika, I, I exclaim. You hearing me? He's sick. I know, she says. Can I talk to him? Why can't you come? She goes quiet again, static feeling the phone pop, 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 then clears. Tamika? Nothing. Tamika, you can't be, be serious. The phone line remains silent. She has nothing more to say. I unwrap the phone cord, then stare at the crisscrosses of pulsing red on my skin. Are you serious right now? I yell. She sighs. Why are you always like this? I don't know why, but I laugh. Our brother's sick in the hospital and she isn't coming, so I laugh and laugh and then I hang up. I pick up the phone, dial tone beeping, and I hang up again and again, laughter rolling up my throat like fizz from a shaken soda. And I hang up again and again, smashing the receiver against the metal clip harder and again and again, until Sara wrenches the phone out of my hand then pulls me away. Shh, she says, as she wraps her arms around me, but I will not cry, I will not be soothed. I push her away. Akua, she hisses, as I march down the hall to my brother's room. Slamming the door be behind me, I pull a chair over to his bed. He looks up. I am here. He smiles. I am where I should be. I will not leave. I will not be known to my brother only through the phone. Running my hands over my braids, I force my face into a smile. Hands trembling and ball tight, I want to grab his lunch tray. I want to watch it smash against the far wall. Our sister isn't coming. Eat your jello, I mumble, pushing the tray closer to him. The food here sucks, he says. Don't they have any enchiladas or taquitos? He curls his hand into an O, then stares at the empty space between fingers and palm. I know what he's thinking. Scrambled eggs and melted cheese seeping through toasted tortilla, fresh and steaming as it wafts around the school courtyard. You remember Dave, he says, wiggling his fingers as they bunch and grasp at nothing at all. This one time, Bryson says, me and Dave, we bought too many taquitos at recess. Daddy had just given me my allowance, so we bought too many and I saved some for lunch. He closes his hand into a fist. Cold taquitos are gross. I shrug. Should have made Dave pay for them. I sit down next to his bed. Then they would have been his problem. 
But that's mean, Bryson says. But you would have had hot and wheat taquitos. He chuckles as he picks up the small cup from his lunch tray, watching the green square jiggle in his hand. Eat, I urge him. He slips a chunk of the green square in his mouth, chewing slowly, then swallowing. See? I squeeze his knee. Not so bad. He makes a face, pretending to puke, as Daddy comes into the room. Tamika should be here soon, Daddy says. She's coming? I, ex I exclaim. Daddy looks at Bryson and says to his son, her flight's been delayed, but don't worry, she'll be here. Bryson puts his jello down with a soft smile. He hasn't seen our sister since Texas, when he was two. I grab my father's arm. She's, is she really coming? What are you going to say to your big sister, he says to Bryson, when she arrives. Bryson thinks for a moment, fiddling with his gown. I'm going to say, sister, if you were in a burning car, who would you call? Batman or Superman? Daddy laughs. I dig my nails into the cotton office sleeve. Is she really coming? Such a smart boy me have, Daddy says. Bryson tries to laugh, but his laugh turns into a cough. Closing his eyes, he sinks into his pillow. He's breathing harder than he was before, air gurgling slow through his open mouth. I let my father's arm go. She'll be so glad to see you, I mumble to Bryson. Daddy looks at me. Yes, she will. Will she cook with us? Bryson says, trying to sit up. Does she like to eat? Bryson loves to eat. He marks his days in meals, memories cataloged by the sensations on his tongue. Of course she loves to eat, I exclaim, leaning over Bryson and giving him a big, big smile. Soon as we get home, we're going to whip up enough cheeseburger and enchiladas. Enchiladas, Bryson exclaims as Daddy chuckles, and brisket, and rice and peas, and curry chicken, but without the potatoes. I hate potatoes. Lord boy, Daddy says, tucking the sheets under his body. You go eat yourself sick. Bryson smiles, closing his eyes. I think I need a nap, he says, having worn himself out from saying so much. You do that, little chef. I lean over and kiss his forehead, his skin sweaty yet cold. Daddy fixes his pillow as I tuck the sheets under his hips. Bryson touches my arm. You'll be here when I wake up, right? I'll fight anyone who tries to make me leave. The doctor knocks lightly on the door. A word, he says. Daddy and I follow him out the room. Down the hall, Sarah sits, throwing me a small smile, then a wave. Blinking fast, I look away. It's a, it's a long shot, the doctor says, rubbing his chin and handing over the forms. But we're running out of options. The illness is progressing quickly. It's worth taking a look. Daddy nods, signing the forms, then handing them to me. He doesn't read them, doesn't need to read them. He's been signing forms and sending Bryson and me to tests in hospitals since I was 10. The test should have caught this. I flip through the pages and pages of fine print, trying to take it all in. Just sign, Daddy says, sounding tired. Through the shut door, I can hear Bryson coughing, fever getting worse. 
Are you all of Bryson's next, next of kin? The doctor says. If there are other family members, it'd be ideal if we could test them too. I can't come, Tamika had said. But now our brother is dying, and there's me wanting my big sister. What a idiot child. As I sign, I press the pen against the paper so hard that it starts to rip. Our sister is in Kingston, delayed by a plane that will never land. I watch my brother through the small room window, breathing shallow as he tosses in his sleep. I hope he's dreaming of his sister sprinting through the airport, of her waving down the plane with her voice rising and arms flailing as she throws her suitcase, throws her whole body, doing whatever it takes to, to, to stop the plane so she can climb on and come to him. Great, the doctor says, watching me sign. My assistant will walk into the lab to get the blood work started. Who knows? One of you might be carrying just the thing we need. A nurse enters Bryson's room, introducing herself with a curt smile as she replaces one of the pouches hanging over his bed. Inserting the new needle into his IV line, she, squeeze, she squeezes the pouch to start the flow. Drip, drip, Bryson's blood goes. Drip, drip, like counting seconds, losing time. Thank you. I guess one where I wanted to start um, is what was the initial impulse with this novel? And I know it's a it's a completely unfair question, but that's not going to stop me from asking. Um, <laughs> I know it's been you said you know eleven years, a long time that you've been working on and off on what is now brought up to you, but what was the original impetus and, and jump in into the work? Sure. Um, well, what I can say is that I wrote kind of the first sections of this novel um, thinking it was going to be a short story collection. Wow. You know, all, all writers start out thinking they're, they're a short story writer and then they realize that, <laughs> that they are or they aren't. Right. <laughs> um, and it was during my first master's at the University of New Brunswick. And I remember doing a bit of research at the time and I found three things. One, I found um, uh, books that were about being a woman in Jamaica. Two, books about being gay in Jamaica. And then three, books about being a straight Jamaican who now lives abroad. But I found almost no novels, no work of fiction that intersected all three of those lines. Mm. And then and then same thing, basically nothing about a Jamaican who's been living abroad and makes a decision to go home. Mm. So I wanted to kind of explore that, but I didn't want to explore it in this way that felt like I didn't I didn't want to intellectualize it because so much of what that experience means lives in the body. It lives in people exper experiences and how it can heighten or complicate relationships. And so mm. I specifically wanted to look at it through fiction, right? Through family, through love. I love that you made such a, <laughs> it's such a pragmatic way into a project, it sounds like. You know, it's like, okay, I have, Examples of A, B, and C here, but nothing where they all blend. And yet the actual 
endeavor fiction as you're saying is just like such a mess and such a such a, a difficult and arduous way to I don't know it's just I love the I love the uh disjunction between the very pragmatic <laughs> decision and then what you were actually doing it's beautiful yeah Absolutely. and especially like holding it to you know what you were saying like examining it through family and, and love and place because place is a big part of it as well um and I want to know like how because 11 years you know like how did you keep yourself in it for 11 years you know how did you how did you keep the flame alive as you were going well I in both like what I read what I write I'm very character driven like I fall in love with people more than I fall in love with what happens to them like Mm. you know both are important absolutely um to for a piece of fiction to to work but for me if I don't feel like I can crawl up and get inside of the character, it's it's, it's never going to click. And so the thing that really kept me going, because at so many points I tried to stop. I, tr- I tried to be like, well, <laughs> it's been four years. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> going in the towel. <laughs> and, and truly the thing that kept calling me back was Akua, was this char- char- character. I kept hearing her voice in my head um and so i think you know a huge part of the journey to publication the journey to broadopsy as it stands now was truly me kind of accruing the skills necessary in order to actually do akua's story justice Mm. being able to like properly render it on the page um, because I because I think like I had a grand vision all those years ago, but I did not know how to execute it. Mm-hmm. And Didn't so I? that's that's been a lot of what I've a lot of trial and error, a lot of like muddy messiness, like what like what you were saying, Alex, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of just like feeling through. But my North Star was always this voice like she was always crystal clear to 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 me, even in moments where I wasn't where I wasn't clear on what to do with her. So was this part of like, um, was this part of what you were working on at Iowa? I know you it worked is. on it at McDowell. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. So here's like the crazy story. Okay. So I started working on it during my first master's. Um, I wrote some of the sections that you all saw in like the flash in, in the flashbacks of her mm-hmm. as a child in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Those are the stories that I wrote thinking that it was a short story collection. Mm. I wrote it and then I was like, that's it. I did it. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um, and then I came up with this separate, what I thought was a separate idea for um a novel that would be about a Jamaican going home, whereas the Shaw story collection is about a Jamaican in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I was working on in my years at Iowa. And it actually wasn't until I finished Iowa and I was showing um, the novel to a friend of mine who had also read the Shaw story collection, who she was just like, you've been writing the same story this whole time. Wow. Oh, oh my goodness. God these are all part of the same thing same universe it's just you know this this part is the head and this part is the tail now Mm -hmm. stitch now stitch them all together 
That's a good friend to have. Yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah. You know, that friend who you, who, when something is going wrong, they're not the first person you call because they're going to tell you the (laughs) truth. Yeah. Really, what you want is someone to tell you that you're right. Oh, Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So then you get out of Iowa, you, have your friend who is gently nudging you in a different direction with the project. Mm-hmm. You rewrite. Mm-hmm. And then are you seeking different editorial voices at that point for the project? Or do you go back to that same friend? How did you kind of navigate that middle period? And were you already represented at this point? Or were you still kind of feeling your way through the project before seeking representation? I was. I was represented um, not by my current agent, but by a lovely woman who I had a, you know, wonderful rapport with. Sure. um, Who was very supportive and really prompted me to kind of write into the in-between spaces. Because as you can imagine, you know, a short story collection, I mean, you're going for... um, um, consistency in thematics consistency in place because they can know like that those are like the larger things tying it together but those don't have to explicitly be on the page because there's because they're individual stories so there were lots of kind of like gaps that um, she was very instrumental in kind of pushing me towards filling mm-hmm. um, and then it honestly became like a big lesson on figuring out the structure. I think that was, that is the thing that I struggled with the most and is the thing that will probably always be my Achilles, Achilles heel, because I, I tend to kind of like develop story according to, and like emotional intuition, Mm -hmm. but that emotional intuition, unless you create handholds only makes sense to me. Mm. And so a lot of what I did in that kind of like intermission session was trying to think, okay, what is the like external scaffolding Mm -hmm. that I can put around this character and her story to have her mean as much to the strangers on the street as she means to me. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting to hear you say that, Christina, because the thing that has struck me about the portions of the novel that I've read and then just hearing you read tonight is there is a directness and clarity to your prose and it seems like that often is a natural (laughs) is an is paired easily with uh you know structure plot in that but it's so funny that the internal experience of that however the writing may feel to a reader or register with a reader it really has no bearing on the internal <laughs> experience of the writer developing and, and drafting that work it's so it's so interesting mm-hmm. yeah it's awful um to everyone listening <laughs> don't become a writer it's <laughs> torturous uh it's i would not recommend it um <laughs> yeah do you mean it's... that do you do you mean that <sighs> Yes and no. Like I, it's not for everyone. It, it I, I, I think that everyone should have some kind of a creative practice mm. in order to better, like, 
release whatever is happening on the inside to better understand themselves, better be in touch with them, with Mm -hmm. themselves. But in terms of do I think everyone should become a capital W writer? I don't know if I'm honest. Oh, Um, I agree with you completely. No, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I think the capital W writers are the ones who keep showing up as you were for Akua, you know, like it's someone who just can't help themselves. Um, Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's someone who spends 11 years writing a novel that's going to come out on catapult in January, 2024, you know, excuse me. But it's funny because I think for a lot of people, it, you know, some, some people, the, the wild thing, looking back on my own MFA experience, the thing that is so strange to me is the number of people who got that degree and either do not write anymore mm. or seemed almost immediately to abandon that aspect of their creative work, which mm-hmm. I, I am not saying with judgment because I think mm-hmm. for a lot of, with a, for a ton of people, and I think this kind of gets to what you were saying, Christina, potentially, and I know we weren't talking specifically about MFA programs, but going through that experience, I think clarifies for many people that writing is actually something they don't want to do. But the thing that I wish more programs included would be stories like yours, Christina. And I I could include myself in that too, because, you know, let's restart this whole podcast and talk just (laughs) about that. Cause I can go for hours. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the majority of people out there. I would say, but that's not, yeah. The majority of people who are willing to even do that. I yes, think right. the, you know, my experience is actually very similar to Christina's in a lot of ways. And that if you take, if you take away my first two books, which do exist, but exist on very, very, very small presses, no advance, no representation for either one of them. And if I would have just held out for, you know, getting an agent, for the first project that was to come out, it would have been 11 years too. Mm-hmm. But I decided to take a different route to get my work to readers. And it worked out great for me. I love where I'm at now, but I was willing to do that. And a lot of people are not willing to do that. A lot of yep. people are unwilling to say, okay, well, I'm not going to publish with this really small press because mm-hmm. I, that's for me, it's actually about the book deal or for me, it's actually about their recognition and mm-hmm. I'm going on and on. I want to hear your thoughts on this, Christine. Yeah, no. I think, you know, looking back on it now, I'm actually really grateful for all the ways in which I was forced to, like, grow up through this kind of 11-year process. Because, like, I... So I have two things to say. One, um, my partner is also a writer and we talk often about how, you know, the industry kind of props up talent. You know, the the industry loves nothing more than like a wonder, like a wonder kid. Mm -hmm. Um, But so much of being a writer is about tenacity, Mm -hmm. right? About having the stamina to sit your butt down in that seat and be like, I feel like crap today. These are going to be terrible sentences, but you have to do it. You have to keep going. Mm -hmm. While at the same time, recognizing that you also have to keep living your your life. 
like when I think about so much of, you know, what made me maturate to the point where I had the skills in order to like, you know, write the thing that needed saying, like to, to, to say all those truths like you were talking about, Alex, it's because I, you know, moved to New York, to, to New York City. I met my partner, I fell in love, I, you know, switched jobs three three times and through and through all of that like I never stopped writing like you have to find a way to kind of do both isn't that you know Alex and I started this podcast where we wanted to talk about all that other stuff (laughs) and we and and we inevitably end up talking about the writing because it's the thing that we are all like you know struggling to do and so devoted to Mm -hmm. really all that other stuff is so key it is. And it's a huge portion of your day, you know, it is. And um, you're either, you know, uh, fighting through it, enjoying it, using it in your work, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and it's like, you know, your life is happening as you're making this thing and remaking it and remaking it. And it and it's, you know, it's intertwined, you know, it's it's part of all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I, you know. To go back to the point that you were bringing up earlier, Alex, you know, I've seen kind of two things, especially in my cohort out of Iowa, of same thing of people coming out and and seemingly, you know, I don't know if they're, you know, writing for themselves, but seemingly have just stopped at least publicly producing their writing Mm -hmm. or people who kind of stopped their lives because they were so intent on getting that book deal. Um, which is wild to me. And I'm not saying that with any kind of judgment, you no. know, on mm-hmm. on on either, but it's just it really speaks to how just insane and strange and unpredictable and like unbalanced and maybe a little bit unhealthy, like the the writer's life can be and Mm -hmm. i think this is part of why i don't advocate it for everybody Mm -hmm. because i want other people to be happy you know (laughs) it really is it's like a constant struggle for everyone loves the word balance but like Mm -hmm. and it's you know that's the wrong word really it's Mm -hmm. you know a constant struggle for i don't know um paying the amount of attention you want to pay to things at the Mm -hmm. right times Mm -hmm. and really i think and this this is this is true for myself, so I'll say it that way. It's because I don't think it's true for everybody. But the only way I ever get some a long project done, the only way I have to this point is to become obsessed with it to the mm-hmm. point of to the detriment of other parts of my life. Or yes. potentially been in a pocket of my life that was different. Uh I haven't I haven't done a residency, but you know, like to not the most recent book, but the book before that, I just was like, you know what? All right. I'm not drinking for a couple months and I'm not going to do anything social. I'm just going to finish this. And that's what I did. And that would be impossible in my life now, but at the time it was very possible. And Mm -hmm. we all get, you know, no matter how crazy your life is, there are these blips where you get opportunities and you can choose to see them as opportunities, or you can choose to just continue on, I think sometimes. And they're not always easy to recognize, but otherwise I don't know how people get it done. It's just- yeah. Yeah. Like you have to like become a little, a little bit crazed, you mm-hmm. know, in order to like actuate the, 
wisdom and truth and beauty like the real essence of the thing that you're chasing because that's really what we're doing like we're chasing either like a feeling or a, a truth or an an experience or a perspective through words through these things that are like such slight approx approximations mm-hmm. of the kind of dyna dynamism and dimension and dimensionality of the thing that we believe in right mm-hmm. like you you can't be a writer unless you believe like mm-hmm. in whatever the thing might be yes right and but then like but as as you both know when you truly believe like the fervor of it like the fugue state that it puts you in mm-hmm. and then trying to put that on the page like you have to become obsessed you know and so um that kind of it's i think that my partner and i talk about often of um we at once like abhor other writers you know because writers are like terrible people. um of while, while while at the same time we're both really grateful for for each other mm-hmm. you know like when mm-hmm. she's just like baby i can't walk the dog i can't make dinner i can't do laundry i can only work on this scene i'll be like i get it you know oh. and that's what we do it just just you know god help us if there's ever a time when like we both are obsessed with a project then i don't know who's gonna walk the dog but you know (laughs) the dog's gonna walk himself basically basically it's so funny because i think in romantic relationships it's either that what you described christina you know whether or not your partner is a, a writer or even a maker an artist it's someone who you know it's either someone who's very supportive and very uh aware of the process that's happening or in my case it's basically like yeah that's fine you can do that uh i am not going to acknowledge that anything's happening at all so you can you can absolutely take care of those dishes and, and move on to the next thing but um <laughs> god the, it's, i was trying to be funny with that but it actually just came out i mean i was like Oof, yeah no, i mean uh, we'll we'll throw in you know we have a four year old and a two year old so my Ooh. my little my little make em ups are not uh, a high priority yeah oh my god no I was just gonna say sometimes it's nice um because I'm also married to someone who's not a writer not a maker um sometimes it's nice to have someone not in that world um because I get sick of it <laughs> yes can we talk about that yes. oh my god. <laughs> It's just, it's nice to kind of look around and go, you know, like I'll, I'll talk to my husband about something in the publishing industry and he'll be like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you're like, oh, right. There's a whole other world outside of this. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And he's like, you know, he's very um, interested, you know, and like he, he did a huge reader, a huge reader, a voracious reader, but like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'll be talking about something that to him is just like bizarre you know and it's like kind of just nice to be like yeah there's like a whole world (laughs) yeah yeah that's something that like my partner and I talk about often um about where we were going through this phase now where we we love our writer friends if you're listening to this we think you're all great (laughs) we adore you um (laughs) but we're also just being like we need some not writer friends Mm -hmm. yeah you know, we're just like, we, we, we in, do you know what? We need more friends who are chefs, you know, more friends <laughs> yes, who are exactly. construction work workers. Yes. Um, 
just because it starts to it starts to feel like you're in a fishbowl mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and then it it becomes an echo chamber it kind of kind of has the same 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 feeling to me as i don't know if this was the same for you for like either of you but i was so relieved when i kind of moved i was grateful for the experience of my MFA, but was also really relieved to leave it when it was done. Mm-hmm. Simply because, you know, I know that we we mentioned this earlier, but this myth, right, that the industry props up for, as we know, for book sales and blah 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 blah, off like the twenty two year old who writes the Pulitzer mm-hmm. Prize nominated, <laughs> and there was a twelve. Yes. house bidding war and it's yes. sold for eight million dollars and it's going to be a movie tomorrow like yeah and right? then you read it and it's fine you know yeah. and you're like why yeah <laughs> yeah but like that like just just there's so much fervor like industry fervor around that narrative that yes. you feel like a loser like a massive loser if you don't do that and you start to feel like what what am I doing wrong is my is my writing not good enough and like I I don't know if anyone has like really researched this of like how much of um you know the people who go to masters and then like stop writing or like stop at least publicly writing has to do with us kind of like eating our own you know um yes you know because it takes just like you, like what, like what, like what I was saying earlier to just become so crazed and obsessed mm-hmm. that even though you know you feel like oh you're not you here I am past thirty and I haven't sold my book yet the industry is not gonna love me you know but yet you keep going mm-hmm. I don't like what do you even call I guess you call that tenacity and stam and stamina. You call it Some... actually being a writer. Like you're actually mm-hmm. doing the thing, you know? Exactly. And that's the thing. Like I just, I really want, and this is the thing which is why like I opened with it. I want to be very loud and intentional about the fact that it took, am I allowed to curse? It took yes, a, fucking, a fucking long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's normal. Like, it is normal. You know, like I'm friends with um Angie Cruz, where Domini Dominicana took seven years. Like you know, m- most of her books took like upwards of five years to reach mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. You know, Clavis sixteen sixteen years working on her debut novel. Um, you know, my partner is working on a novel right now. She's on year nine. Like it's just, oh my gosh. but like no one talks about it, and I wish they would. No, it's such a good point. And it it also just is, it makes me so interested in all the ebbs and flows of how you kind of got to the point where you are. And the 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 one aspect of of your route to publication that is so interesting is you had a number of, you know, Iowa, obviously very prestigious, and then McDowell. I was, I was when I was reading your bio, Christine, I was like, God, this is, this is maybe an odd question, but did you feel pressure at McDowell not having a book out yet? Did it feel like, oh my God, everyone here is like ahead or 
did, was there a kind of inherent pressure or was it much more support? Was it a much more supportive and welcoming space than that? You know, I really have to say my time at McDowell was magical. That's um, so cool. Magical in the sense that while I was there, you know, I was around A, because it's cross dis, dis, disciplinary. It's not just all writers, mm-hmm. which is really cool. So it's painters and composers and singers, you know. Um, so it becomes like a cross poll, cross pollination of creative ideas. And then in the specific cohort, because obviously, you know. So much of your experience um, is impacted by who else is there with you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had a great cohort while I was there that ran the full gamut from, you know, from people who had never even done a master's, who were self-taught writers and had published nothing, all the way up to people who were Stegner fellows and people who, you know, had published, you know, debut books to huge, to huge acclaim. And the thing that was lovely is that across um, everyone that I met, there was a shared feeling of just being, of just being like, oh, why do we do this? And so we all just bonded <laughs> over that. Um, and I'll also be quite honest, you know, I was this way at Iowa and, and I was this way at McDowell where, where, where I was just like, this kind of like dedicated time to work on my fiction is a gift. And I'm going to take advantage of every millisecond of this gift. Mm-hmm. So I also was really anti-social. So maybe I'm not the person <laughs> to ask. <laughs> I I want to ask about all the life stuff that's happening. You know, in addition to all the MFA and the McDowell, I want to, you know, because you meant you have such an interesting teaching background and now no longer teaching background. I want to hear about that. For sure. Um, so I'll give like a quick little overview of my CV, if you will. Um, so I was an adjunct professor starting in Canada at the University of New Brunswick. New Brunswick. Then I taught at the University of Iowa for two years. Then I taught at Fordham, FIT, the School of Art Design in Chicago, briefly um uh city city tech also in the city um and i'm missing somebody out yep i'm definitely missing one institution and i did that for about seven years um and i started to feel very much about teaching how i feel about the industry with about about the publishing industry which is that I love the act of teaching, right? Of actually being in the classroom with the students and delving into the literature at hand. Cause so much of it is that the delving into the lit into the literature is just a vehicle for the forming of consciousnesses. Um mm. which I think is um a process that I'll probably always be fast fascinated by and obsessed with. Um, and so I loved that, but all the other stuff of academia, (laughs) (laughs) I could really do without. Mm -hmm. Um, and did you find you were able to write while you were? No, that was the next thing I was, I was was actually about to say (laughs) is that, so there was like, I loved teaching, but 
especially as I started to kind of teach higher level classes, it started it it was it started to use the same energy and the same part of my brain that I use for my writing. And so I kind of hit this point where I realized I could either be a great teacher or I could c- continue on my kind of never-ending quest to be a great writer. And it was kind of heartbreaking. And I had a whole meltdown about it being like, I'm not adequate, blah, blah, blah. Other people can do this. Why, why, why can't I? Of just being like, I had I had to choose. Um, I couldn't do both. Um, and I chose the writing. I chose the art. And for a very long time after, I felt quite guilty about that choice. Mm. You know, but the thing that I tell myself now is <laughs> whenever this book comes out, I'm not writing anything for a long ass time. I'm, yeah. I'm going to ass down. <laughs> I'm going to read other people's books. And I'm going <laughs> to just, you know, put the pen away. Oh, and, yes. and then I can always just teach then, you know, um, just to, to go back to that question of balance, of just being like balance sometimes mean that there's a time for this and a time for that. You don't mm-hmm. have to do everything all at once. That's really hard to accept and remind it yourself is. of it's it's it is. because that pressure is always there, you know, and especially going back to what you were saying, being in the, in the writing world that we're in, <clears throat> it can create a kind of derangement, you know, mm-hmm. of um, I remember I don't remember who, I think maybe it was Jack Gems was talking about, you know, it's useful to remember like, yes, some people might be having these amazing things and <laughs> excuse me, you might start thinking to yourself, well, why don't I have that? And it's useful mm-hmm. to step back and go, well, am I willing to do that kind of work to get the thing that these people have? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, then do the work, but often it might be no, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. It's also so hard sometimes, I think, with close friends or maybe, you know, it's a first reader of yours or someone you went to school with. It can be really easy to just like conflate someone else's success with your lack of success or like all the time, just like just to like take in some of there's there's like there's no relationship between these things so often. I mean, always. And yet I think so often it's like, it's hard to realize, okay, that person's experience has literally nothing to do with me. The fact that I either read their work or they're a friend of mine or whatever it may be, it has nothing to do with your own writing. It's a completely separate venture. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. And this is really where I credit, you know, like I mentioned before, just like continuing to live your life and, mm through that process you just you end up with wins in other buckets you know which helps which helps to kind of have like a more (laughs) even foundation and like multiple pillars upon which you can define success Mm -hmm. you know like for me I'm like a uh, people hate I'm a disgustingly hopeless romantic and so to me (laughs) you know finding someone with whom I could partner for for life was a massive success. Oh, you know, yes. like that is yeah. that is huge to to me. And so, but like 
having that while the book was not done and no not selling at the same time like it it balanced it 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 made it easier to deal with all the difficulties of the writing one to feel as though like other things in your in your life are going are going well my husband will say like you know I have a great family I have a great wife I've you know we've been together almost you know 20 years great home we live in a wonderful city but I'm a massive loser. (laughs) 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 He says it, you know, jokingly, but uh, (laughs) it's funny because it's like all these wonderful things, but I'm a loser. (laughs) And sometimes as a writer, you, you know, you can kind of, it kind of puts things in perspective. Like you're saying, you have the love of your life. You know, you, you live where you want to live. You know, like it's, but sometimes you'll be like, but you know, so-and-so yeah. got a TV deal or whatever. Yeah. That's but funny. then also, you know, I think it's also important to highlight the ways in which getting other things in your life makes the writing possible. Like I, yes. I truly credit so much of me being able to like actually understand, not just objectively, but like inside my own brain, understand structure with having to do with getting a non-teaching job as a project man manager where so interesting so much of what I do is being like all right this client you know here we are at point a and we got to get them to point b and it's my job to figure out the process of how to get there wow right to come up with the spreadsheets of like what needs to happen when to you know do kind of like air traffic control between different people on the team and that's that's and that's what structure is right oh yes structure is like i have this character and i want them to arrive at this meaning Mm. how are you gonna do that you know i think it's similar we talk sometimes about how having kids has made us more efficient when we have Mm. time to write Mm -hmm. before there'd be a lot of like wheels spinning or like oh yeah i spent hours on instagram like you just totally. my, my screen time when i'm writing yes. is through the roof yes absolutely <laughs> and like now like we'll have an hour and so it's like i gotta fit a thousand words into an hour or whatever it is you know and you become like re- like ready <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like i will sit down and i will do the work because it's literally all the time i have mm-hmm. funny how life shapes those things for you true yeah so christina then the actual process of the book going on sub um did that happen was that like late 2021 when you when you actually had a version of brought up see that you were like all right i'm 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 set i'm ready to go out with this representation you felt good about what was tell us about your i uh, love an answer that starts with oh man me too because (laughs) honestly if if your answer to this question didn't start with oh man and it was about going on sub during the pandemic i wouldn't believe you (laughs) so i'll give the fuller answer i should really come up with like a more concise way to discuss all of this no no that's for (laughs) that's for future me right um but also kind of like kind of like the best so you know what no i should love it here we are in the mess um is that this book went out on sub in different iter iterations over the span of four years oh wow yeah yeah um oh my god yeah so i I think i 
got 72 rejections. Oh, yeah. That sounds That's a real right. number. God. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. And again, like, I kind of described that whole process as living through an excruciating ego death. Um, <laughs> why am I laughing? That's terrible. <laughs> you're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was gonna say, Lindsay, because we've both had our egos destroyed yes, by submission, murdered, yeah. annihilated, <laughs> like done for. Um, which I was grateful for in the end because then it made me, it it made me actually get to the bottom, like get beyond the you know inherited narratives the stars in my eyes to be like, okay, what do I actually want Mm -hmm. for the life of this novel? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's through that process that I kind of re I kind of re realized that if I was going to fail, I was going to fail on my terms. So being very clear about what the book was and being crystal clear about what the book was not and and what are certain lines that, that I am willing to negotiate on and what I'm not willing to negotiate on. Um, and that was, it took me on a very interesting journey. Um, I'm just trying to think through some of the reactions. Oh, the I think my my favorite reaction to the novel was, which I just took it as a... Uh, um, as a compliment to just how vivid and how real I can make a character feel is that someone, um, an editor who said no said, because it read like a memoir. (laughs) Wow. And I was just like, well, it's because it just feels so real that you think it, this must be a real person. Surely this is not fiction. Yeah. What what a strange. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. God. You know, yeah. like <laughs> this is yeah, this is too much like a memoir. Like it actually feels real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So I think by the time that I was with my current agent and she was sending it out, I was much more at peace about it. You know, like I wasn't obsessed with checking my email anymore. Um, I was sort of of like, if it sells, it sells. And if it doesn't, this was still a worthwhile project. Mm. Wow. So take solace in that, in that kids. That's, that's (laughs) the maturity that 11 years will bring you. (laughs) We were talking to someone recently. It was like, I thought I was the only one who had gotten rejected so many times on sub. I think it was Andrew Bombeck. It was, it was Andy. Yeah. (laughs) Listening to I'm a writer, but really showed me how wrong I was. And it's like, that's great. That's exactly why we exist. (laughs) I mean, honestly, if the only thing that this podcast does is let people who have not yet gone through submission or querying for an agent or even just receiving edits during that process, just lets them know kind of what to expect, then I think that it's worth having this podcast, even though even though it takes up so much time, <laughs> I still, well, I still think just even that's enough because I, I really didn't know any of that, even right. coming out of an MFA. I had no idea how hard any of that stuff was. I was just mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, you know, eventually I'm going to have a book that's so good that they're not going to be able to say no. Like that's mm-hmm. just how it's going to work. 
what a fucking asshole I was to think yeah. that. So stupid. It, it's oh a miracle. Getting a book published is a miracle. Um, it is. Yeah. Someone, someone, I think it was Stacey Austin Egan was just telling me she spoke to some editor who said that they read a thousand books a year and they buy eight, eight to 12. Oh my and so, God. you know, that's what we're dealing with. And yeah, it's a miracle. Like we should all be it's so true. proud of ourselves. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of why like I truly try to caution people against getting caught up being like, I want my book to be, to be published by publishing uh, house X. And I'm just right. like, mm, just, if you get published period, be happy, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't. That's true. Honestly, it's so true. And I feel like I went into, I'm happy. I, w- I was very ignorant and I, I, in some ways I remain very ignorant and I think it helps me not have expectations that I shouldn't be having mm-hmm. because I, I, I honestly didn't know. I never would have been like, well, I prefer this publisher to this publisher because X, Y, Z, or they published. I, I just didn't, I didn't know any of that stuff. You know, but you know what, Lindsay, as you're saying that, and actually what Christina just said kind of triggered this for me where, you know, to get published anywhere is amazing you and i shared this Lindsay, in that you know early on the fact that zach was like yeah no like give me give me whatever you got we'll put it together we'll make a book yeah like that right there the fact that you were just like yes that is the important thing because absolutely. if that doesn't happen if the featherproof projects don't happen then fsg absolutely does not happen That's and exactly if- right and if it's my first a hundred percent, and if my first two books don't happen on the very small presses, there's no way I would have a novel coming out. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's different paths to it, but if you have an opportunity to publish your work and you turn your nose up at it, I think in very often it's, it's not the right move. I just think that it's okay to take different paths to, to, to get wherever you want to yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about that with Deborah Shapiro who just self-published her novel yeah, right. um, after having two novels on, on bigger houses and, um, you know, yeah. at a certain point, it's like kind of like what you decided, Christina. It's like I want this book out in the world, and I want mm-hmm. it on my terms. Yeah, and I'll compromise on this thing, but I won't on this other stuff. You know, and it's like I I made a thing that I want people to have, mm-hmm. so I'm mm-hmm. going to do that. Yeah, and the thing that's important for people to keep in mind as well is that book publishing is not a one and done deal. Like you right. don't just like publish one book and then there's like this is your only shot. Like it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to like what you were saying, Alex, like there's like your first books are uh, your, your first two books were absolutely foundational. So you even yes. do on this podcast. So it means like sure. you being in the position that you're in now. Right. Mm-hmm. And same thing, like, you know, me and, and, and the one masters and then the other and thinking I was writing a short story collection, but then it was really a novel and then two novels having to put, all of that had to happen Absolutely. to get to where I am now. And then this step has to happen for where, for wherever it is that, that I'm going to go next. Yep. Right. Yep. No, it is. And so if true. you, if you, if you went to yourself 11 years ago and said, it's going to take 11 years to do this, it would have overwhelmed you maybe, mm-hmm. <laughs> but just keeping present and keeping yourself taking these steps these important steps that you're not entirely sure where they're leading but they're keeping you in the work is Mm -hmm. everything Mm -hmm. yeah i agree and to just keep improving in whatever that looks like for you 
Right. You know, it just means putting in the work. Put in the work. Well, Christina, thank you so much for joining us tonight. This was a especially fun one because we don't really get to catch authors at this moment very often. And it's also fun because we're going to be able to cheer for you in January and of 2024 and say, we talked to her when we were, we were, we were, <laughs> she was on, I'm a writer. She was on, we got her first. We got her first. And uh, thank you. Really appreciate you taking the time to spend an hour with us tonight. And I appreciate you, you both for having me on. This was yeah. awesome. What a great yeah. conversation. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That was good. That was, that was so fun. good. It's so funny too, because like as we were talking, I was like, this is good stuff for many people to hear. And I don't, it's so easy to stray into like aphorisms and cliche, but when I'm saying a lot of these things, I truly mean them with all my heart. Just that like I remember getting advice. I remember I remember listening to an interview with Shane Jones and I've told him this. He's he's a friend now, but I told I told him hearing him say in an interview that the only way to finish a novel, or he no no no, it was much more low-key than that. And that's why it actually was inspiring. He said, you know, if you're obsessed with writing a novel, like if it's all you think about, eventually you're just going to write a novel. You will. And I remember hearing that and thinking, oh okay. Well, I'm definitely fucking obsessed with writing a novel. So <laughs> I think I'll I think I'll be all right. And it was mm -hmm. just so calming to me to hear that. And so I think so often some of these things that you and I maybe say behind the scenes, or it's like even some of it even veers into like self-talk in a way, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's good to have an episode where we're saying a lot of that out loud. Absolutely. And um Michael Wayne Hampton was messaging me on Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, I would really love to hear like your near misses or, yeah, right. or your failures. Like, I'd love to hear more about that. And I was like, you know, I feel like we talk about it all the time, but maybe what we don't talk about is the anguish mm. and like the absolute doubt and like fear, sadness, yeah. you know, that, yeah, that yeah. we feel as all of this is happening. Right. Um, and, and cause I was like, you know, I feel like Alex and I have talked a lot about going out on submission and getting rejection and i know i feel like we talk about it all the time and, but you're, yeah. yeah you're right you're right maybe we don't we don't talk about how hard out. like emotionally it is i mean like right. <laughs> absolute devastation um yeah and, and like just not knowing what's next and like honestly like i've held tried i'll try it on i'll try this on when things like this happen i'll try on like well that was it for me mm -hmm. it was a good run you know like mm -hmm. my life is now this other thing you know yeah. and then I think like Christina said, you inevitably either you go back to the work or you don't. And right. I have always gone back to the work because it's the only way I feel better. Yeah. Well, and you are kind of a particularly interesting example in regards to this, because when you got some, when you got some feedback on the, the novel, the novel two novels ago or three novels ago at this point, your instinct was to completely strip the thing down, rewrite it, and then write another novel. Yeah. Um, so, well, but I, I do remember, yeah. I do remember that you were, you were really down. I mean, you were like, but then you moved through it. I mean, you moved through it quickly. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I guess like to be like, I, I don't know. I feel like I've said this, but 
you know, it was my, my editor at FSG who wasn't able to buy the book for FSG, mm-hmm. not because she didn't want to. Right. Um, and then, and then she left FSG. And so it felt like a complete unmooring and that it's totally normal. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have a cough. Totally, totally normal for an editor to move on mm-hmm. or <clears throat> pass Actually- on your more normal than not at this point for them to keep moving honestly yeah but i just felt like i just i was just like wow i'm a loser (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you just have to not because of anything she said i mean she was wonderful all through it but yeah it's the it's the it's your it's the voices in your head Mm -hmm. um it's your sales numbers. Honestly, it's my sales numbers, which mm-hmm. are terrible. I have still not earned out my advance on eat only when you're hungry. Um, so if anyone's wanting to help a lady out, please go buy I that book. Up. Come on. What are you doing? What are you doing? People? <laughs> please help me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, it's, uh, I know that I was, I leaned on, on friends big time when I was on submission this last time, I leaned on you a ton on yeah, our friend, Emily, a lot, yeah. our friend, Adam. I mean, just people who have gone through this and because you really, it makes you so nuts. It makes you question whether you can do the thing at all. Yeah. And that I think is the the crazy making part when you're getting these and Luke, Luke talked about this on the most recent episode, you know, just how, it doesn't matter how how close you are a no is a no and i think there is something that's so damning about that and it's hard to even move on from it in some ways even once you i mean the situation i'm in now i wouldn't trade for anyone but i still it's like wow yeah that was gnarly as fuck it's so i i, <laughs> I can just remember just like it hitting me at odd moments and just being like oh my god you know like i I had a chance to like capitalize on my career and I failed and like, you know, like, Oh my God, why, why did I believe in this book? You know? And like, why didn't I (laughs) shoot higher or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. but you just have to write the book you're writing. Yeah, Um, exactly. That's really it. That, that is kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're sick. Let's not do this anymore. (laughs) All I was going to say is um, I had the pleasure of being edited by Alex on a project we're working on. I'm really excited about. um, I'm really excited about it too. Actually. I think the story you wrote is just a fucking knockout. It feels like a classic Lindsay story in a way. Like it feels like that kind of like classic propulsive Lindsay Hunter story that we all have fallen in love with before. (laughs) And yet it's brand new and that's thrilling. Thank you. I, I just wanted, like, I, I felt like, I don't know, maybe it's because we're friends, siblings mm-hmm. at this point, mm-hmm. but like, I just felt like I could, I, I knew like you were asking me for things and I, I could see what you were asking for and I totally trust you. And it, mm. and it's cause I know you and I, you know, like I know what kind of reader you are and it's just awesome to know what kind of an editor you are now. I appreciate that. Um, it was so it was so fun to do it. I it mean, it was a joy. I mean, I'm I'm I I don't know if you still have openings for your editing, but like if anyone's looking for an editor, I I my next thing I'm sending to you because I just felt like I appreciate that. You know, like writers know what I'm talking about. Like you want someone to be straight with you. 
and you mm-hmm. want someone to level with you and you want someone to push you. And I felt like you were doing all of those things at the same time as like um, helping me be me. Oh yeah. I mean, it it's easy to do when you love the work and you know that too, having done lots of editing yourself. It's when you love it, when you love what you're reading and it's great work in front of you, it's not work. It's just, it's pure pleasure. <laughs> so that was, that was great. And I can't wait for people to see it. Um, Me too. We can tease it. I mean, let's just say it. You know what? Gonna... Actually, this episode comes out in November. It's... Oh. So guys, well, we're talking about the back. Britney Spears story. <laughs> yeah, the Britney Spears story that is going to be, or that is on WordRest, WordRest Review. And uh, it's going to be the first publication of WordRest Review. Which I'm is so just excited. Unreal. And the art, the art that David showed us and the the way that they're going to present it on the website is just outstanding. Yeah, like what a crew. Like David Byron oh, Queen. Oh, man. He's Alex, Colin Winnett, um, <laughs> and like, I don't know, go follow Word West Review and uh, just uh, die over it because it's amazing. And I'm yeah, so, David so, so honored. did an amazing job. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm excited for people to see it. All right, I'm going to go <laughs> cough some more. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry you're not feeling good, but I know that you're just going to feel this way for the rest of your life because that's yeah. what's been happening to you now. Yeah, it's 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 kids. You know, I'll oh, feel like God. this until they're in college. <laughs> and then you'll same visit them in college and, you know, same thing. Yeah. All right. All right, bud. Have a good night. We did it. See ya. We Bye. did it. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah, yeah.